Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the FinTV Future Insights Network podcast. I'm Maria Villablanca, and I've got a really special guest uh, today for our podcast. I've got Blaine Matthew from uh, Vantic, who is the Chief Marketing and Product Officer. Blaine, thank you so much for coming on board to this podcast from sun sunny San Francisco, it looks like. <laughs> Hello, Maria. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Um, Blaine, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey so far and, uh, and, and maybe tell people about uh, who you are and who Vantic is. Well, as you noted, Maria, I'm based out of Silicon Valley. I'm actually a Canadian originally, but I moved down here in the late 90s and uh, began as first a Gartner analyst. I think a lot of your, your folks and listeners probably know who Gartner is. Yeah. Uh, ran strategic planning and market intelligence for Adobe for a few years. And then since then, I've been mostly at uh, mid-sized technology companies, software companies that are trying to help other companies uh, you know, somehow move along their, their transformation. And right now, as you said, I run marketing and product at a software platform company called Vantic. Okay. Great. And, and uh, so let's talk about digital transformation. Let's just jump in. Yeah. Let's just jump in and talk about digital. Uh, so we get a lot, I'm, I'm moving around with the computer here. I've now, now you see me, now you don't. Uh, uh, so uh, at the moment, hold on, let me just go back to that. There we go. So um, at the moment, a lot of our members talk about digital transformation as one of these things that they're either in awe of, scared of, uh, they are uh, trying to get a, a, a grip on. Um, where do you stand in this in this debate? Where you know what have you come across? Yeah, well, as as you know, I host uh, another podcast on the topic of the real time enterprise and digital transformation. So I talk to a lot of guests as you do on this topic uh, all the time, and and you know, digital transformation is one of those those subjects that uh, nobody quite knows what it means, and it means something different for everyone. But it, it really did excite me the other day. So I attended your uh, supply chain event last week in Germany. A really great event, by the way. Thank you for Thank that. You. And, and part of the reason I attend these events on behalf of Vantic, obviously, is, is to learn. Is to learn what people are talking about, whether it's in the supply chain space like it was a few weeks ago or manufacturing or field service or other spaces. And one thing that really surprised me and didn't su surprise me a little bit and maybe didn't on the other hand is, in the first two opening keynotes, both speakers used the words real time at least 10 times. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I, started, I stopped counting actually after, after 10 because I was just like, wow, that's amazing. And when I think about what digital transformation means to many companies, it's fundamentally about, in many cases, changing the way they run their business into uh, a real time way of, of interacting. And what that means is sensing what's going on around your business operations, whatever it is, your supply chain, your manufacturing operation, whatever, sensing what's happening, and then being able to respond in real time as that, as that data about what's happening is flowing in. And a, a few years ago, nobody was really talking about real time, but now I see this coming up more and more often as part of the digital transformation conversation. Okay. But is it possible? I mean, let's be realistic. Everybody wants real time. I, I was there too. You, it was the, you know, the words of, of the event, real time, real time, real time. How possible is it? Well, two things are, are making it more possible. 
Uh, first of all, you know, IoT and uh, IoT devices, sensors, and, and the flood of data which is coming into organizations and, you know, operational areas as it hit like supply chain and manufacturing and others. There's, there's no lack of data about the current state of these systems, right? And a few years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case, but now you have the opposite problem. These organizations being flooded with data, right? Yeah. Too, too much data, they can't handle it. So the other thing that is necessary is you know, relatively easy to use software and systems that can take that data and allow you to do something with it. So you're not just flooded with it, but you can actually figure out what to do and take an action. And I don't want to get too, you know, too carried away into future talk, but there's also no doubt that things like machine learning algorithms and AI can also help and make it easier for people to literally collaborate with these systems. We, I, you know, I talk a lot about human machine collaboration. Yeah. So these, these systems, these smart manufacturing lines, these supply chain systems aren't taking people out, totally out of the picture, but they're allowing them to work with the systems in very powerful collaborative ways. And so software, you know, powered by all the data that's flowing in is now making this possible. Whereas, you know, even five years ago, it wasn't nearly as possible. Well, no, uh, you, you hit upon a, a lot of very important topics here. I mean, least of which is, or maybe not least of which, one of the most important ones that people are concerned about is the whole, will the machines take over? Uh, what does this mean for my employees? What does it mean for my job? Uh, that's number one. Number two, how realistic this possibility is? Uh, how realistic is it? And the, the next question that I have for you really is based upon um, how can, how practical is it for someone to, to implement some of these things today? Well, you know, for anyone who's worried about the machines taking over anytime soon, just has to ask Elon Musk how he did with the Tesla Model 3 line. So his vision was to totally automate this manufacturing and into an, into an automated supply chain and to truly have a lights out assembly line. If you, you can search on Google for a picture of the Model 3 assembly line today and you'll see there are people all over the place right? Because he just, what, you know, what to get the outcome and the speed he needed, he had to have many machines. There's robots and machines all over the place too, yeah. but they're working collaboratively with people. They, have, they haven't replaced them, right? And so I think it is possible to get there, but companies, even a company with as much money and as much technology as Tesla, uh, should be very wary of trying to go there in one ginormous jump, Right. You have to go there a small piece at a time, a bite sized chunk at a time. That's what I was just going to say. You know, these these moonshots, you know, these sort of let's go out there and uh, do what Elon Musk is suggesting and go lights out completely don't don't seem to be realistic. And perhaps they're doing more damage to the industry uh, and to the possibilities than than any good. Don't you think? Yeah, well, I can't say the name of the company. I wish I could. But we have a large Japanese uh, partner and, and yeah. client uh, who has previously in the last couple of years attempted over 300 digital transformation projects enabled by IOT. All of them failed. Yeah. All yeah. Yeah. of them failed. 300, over 300. Can you, can you imagine? Like when they first told us this, we just both fell off our chairs. Like, how's that even possible? Right. To get to but, 300. I know. Yeah. And so, so A, does the guy still have a job? <laughs> well, this guy does. He was very high up in this uh, in this okay. company, so he's not. Okay. But uh, I imagine, I imagine there's a lot of chaos, you know, lower down. But yeah. but I, I think a lot of it is about 
conceptualizing and scoping the project, picking, you know, what I would advise in general in these digital transformation projects is pick one particular element of your operations that you could, if you could move it from a batch mode, from, you yeah. know, compiling something and, and doing it later to, to moving it to more of a real time, taking action now while it's, while it's most valuable to take that action, just do one small thing, take one small part of your operations and, and apply it to that and then do the next one and then do the next one. Another, you know, bit of advice for those that I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of IDC, uh, one of the big analyst firms along with Gartner and some yeah. of the others. They've got an amazing database of over a thousand digital transformation use cases that you can access. These are, these are broken down by industry, uh, by, by industry sector and by sort of operations type. And, and I would say probably two thirds of those thousand, I think there's over 1200 use cases now that they describe little bite-sized chunks that you can do to transform your business. Over 2000 of them or over two thirds of them fundamentally involve doing something in real time that used to be done in batch mode. So I'd encourage, certainly if any of your listeners are IDC clients already, take a look for that digital transformation, uh, those reports and use cases, amazing stuff. Do you know, when we, when we have a lot of conversations around digital transformation here on this, on this podcast and also at our events, uh, we talk, you know, I constantly hear, like you, the words real time and this, this move, you're right, it's changed a lot. Uh, the meaning of real time is real, real time now. I mean, if you think back to 10 years ago, real time, we would have been satisfied with just a bit of real time. Now we really want something, you know, instant, don't we? Uh, well, yeah. Do you, do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's evolved and changed? Is it consumer, because we're living in a consumer-driven economy? What, what is it? Yeah. Well, first on the definition of real time, I think, you know, there's, there's what, uh, what technologists would call hard real time is down at the millisecond or microsecond level. Those are for autonomous car control systems and things where you know, a millionth of a second can make all, all the yeah, difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, I, what I'm generally talking about, I think when most people talk about real time, from a, they're talking about business real time. Yes. And actually Gartner defines that as anything within 15 minutes, actually. Is, yeah. they, they extend the notion of real time out to be even a few minutes long. And I think that makes sense for most, you know, for most business applications. So just to make sure your listeners understand, uh, when I say real time, I'm not talking about, about down to the microsecond level. It yeah. could be. But most transformative <laughs> business use cases don't require that, right? No, it's still an improvement, though, as, yeah. as you're saying. Yeah. I mean, mo okay, yeah, let me absolutely. ask you this question then, Blaine. How many people, re in reality, I mean, that you come across, how real-time is their real-time nowadays? What, what's the average in the industry? What, what do people get? Well, I think when I think of most of the solutions that, say, our customers are building with Vantic, they're, they're trying to make decisions... Uh, like, like now, let me give you some real, real use cases, some real use okay. case examples. So, you know, a machine learning algorithm is, let's step, step back a bit. The average air conditioning unit now has over 200 sensors on it, industrial AC oh. unit. Okay. An wow. HVAC unit, 200 yeah. sensors putting off data. Right. And so if you have an algorithm that's looking at the state of those sensors and can very easily predict that a system is going to go, go wrong. What you want to have happen is in, in real time, the closest qualified service technician is, is located, is notified, and then directed to go to the machine, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't sound that innovative, but think of how most field service is done today for manufacturers and of, of equipment, right? The air conditioner breaks. The office gets hot. 
two hours. Two hours later, the office finally gets too hot. Somebody in the office makes a phone call to office management. Office management calls the HVAC guys. They put it on their queue for somebody to get to tomorrow, right? Yeah. The guy gets to the unit. He still doesn't fundamentally know what's wrong with the unit yet. Until he gets there, he gets there, he sees he doesn't have the qualification to fix that problem. So they got to call another guy, right? Yeah. So that's the non-real-time version of field service compared to the real-time version where you, you, have, you have situational awareness. You know what the current state of things are at all time. And to finish the use case a little bit, when the person is fixing or attempting to repair the AC unit, it's continuing to put off data. So yeah. the system, the handheld or the, the device that the guy is using to, to see what he should do next, what the next step is, is being updated with new directions based on the current state of the AC unit, not what it was like two hours ago or two days ago when the, when the request was put in. This is not science fiction. Like, you know, many, many systems are now being built today to do exactly, to support exactly this kind of use case. And that's the kind of real time I'm talking about. Okay. Do, you know, that's the really exciting techie part of things. You know, the algorithms, the machine learning, uh, AI, all these really exciting things. Do you think businesses are um, well supported from a process perspective or from a personnel perspective, team perspective, to deal with this new reality? Well, there's, there's probably two, you know, there's many angles to that. There's the angle we, we can get into in a bit maybe, which is our IT departments in these businesses ready to build these kind of systems and support these kind of systems. That's one, that's one angle. The other angle is more the people on the, you know, in the manufacturing plant, in the field service organization, are they ready to use these yeah. kind of systems and to embrace them? And maybe to dive into that one first, uh, you know, I've spoken to uh, a lot of folks in, in, you know, field service and manufacturing in some of these areas. And, and they say uh, there is some resistance from, you know, from some, especially the folks that are actually in the field and that have been in the field for many years to doing something in, you know, in collaboration with technology. And I think that's probably maybe now that I think about it, that's the distinction. When you try to, uh, when, a, when an organization tries to fundamentally replace people with technology, then of course the resistance is super high. Yeah. But if, if you can do what I, was, what I was mentioning earlier, enable true human machine collaboration. So you have a system that's helping this person get his or her work done more effectively. Then all of a sudden the resistance level drops quite a bit. And organizations are, are just trying to figure this out right now. I think, you know, just to step, you mentioned AI and, and machine learning. There's, there is absolutely, that's starting to be embedded in many, many systems these days. But I, I, I don't think it, it should be in, uh, characterized as, as something that's going to, you know, replace people on assembly lines or replace field service workers or replace people trying to run, you know, real-time supply chains. It's about making them, you know, better, stronger, faster. That's, that's what it is. This is about being able to do more, do more proactively. It's not about, but not about taking people out of the system anytime soon. So that's, that's sort of the, the, the angle from how, what is the impact on people who are actually in the operation side? Then there's yeah. the whole IT side. And so, and so again, let, let's stick on this processes side. Let's sure. say an organization, and no doubt you guys, you guys at Vantic have the experience. You go into companies and someone says, we want to do our digital transformation. Uh, do, do you think that they would have to implement some sort of 
assessment on their current existing processes, not people, just let's, let's talk processes first, uh, mm. to layer on top. Because, you know, you can't just layer on top technology. You know, you, you, we've seen yeah. so many case studies, I'm sure you have too, where people spend millions of dollars on technology, on software, yeah. on, you know, systems that they bring into their business. And, you know, two, three, four years later, it's shelfware. So yeah. how do you do that effectively? Yeah, so first of all, my first tip that we're going to be two or three or four years later, having spent millions of dollars, is if somebody invites me in to talk about their dig driving their digital transformation. Yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll run screaming from the building, right? That's, it's too much. It's too big. You know, you should not be trying to drive your complete digital transformation, right? Yeah. And, and so I think if you want to hire Accenture or Deloitte to come in and do a complete, you know, end-to-end pro -end process analysis of your current systems and processes yeah. and everything else, you, you can do that. And two years later, you'll, again, you'll probably have something which would have been good two years earlier, but now that's already been bypassed. Because the, the sands so, are shifting regularly, uh, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And it truly, in my experience, the 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 successful projects that i see start they're just bloody obvious things you you need to fix or improve you don't need to do a big process analysis everybody just knows why if we could do this in five minutes instead of two hours the world would be a better place yeah okay we'd, we'd save money we'd make more money you you know it, it, the pro if, if it takes you more than a day to figure out what the processes you want to improve then i'd say you're now you're in the danger zone here where you're looking at biting off something that's too big right that's that's too big let me interrupt you right there how many times yeah. do you see that how often do you see that i've well it's it's interesting I would say we probably self-select to the smaller projects only because it's, it's literally true. If we're talking to somebody who's, who's waving their hands around about digital transformation and fundamentally changing the whole organization, we, we, you know, we advise them that that's not the way to go and then we, and then we leave, right? So I'd say it's maybe a third of the time we get wow. in a situation like that where they want to do something really big. Yeah. And, and, uh, and look, it's, it's very tempting because businesses don't want to get disrupted by competitors, by the next startup doing something better, stronger, faster than they are. So they, they want to move fast. They want to transform. But it's a question of are you better to transform with a whole bunch of very quick, don't, don't get me wrong, these small transformation projects can be done in weeks normally. Wow right? That's the other mindset shift. Like, yeah. I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a situation where we, we discuss with a client about a, about a transformation we want to help them make to, let's say their, their manufacturing plant in some, uh, in an example I'm thinking of. And we say, they say, okay, well, let's do a POC. And we're, well, okay, yeah, we, okay, we, we could do a POC. And they say, okay, we'll allocate six months to get this POC done. We say, well, how about by next Friday? Yeah. And they say, well, no, that's impossible. You can't, you can't do it by next Friday. That's impossible. And we'll say, well, watch us. And, and you know, you, you get it done and the most drop open. I'm thinking of a major German yeah. manufacturer yeah. right now who's, I literally see them right now with their mouth dropping open. And these companies need to think, be able to think in terms of weeks and maybe months, not, not years. 
And that's why starting small but moving fast does let you transform your whole organization, right? Versus starting big and then planning a two-year project, which never actually gets done. Or, or by the time it's done, it's not even the right thing anymore. Right? I, I, love what you, I love what you said there, the mindset shift. I think, I think if I were going to give or out of my two cents in terms of the advice that I would give to companies besides the bite-sized chunks uh, uh, advice would be to sort of think about this uh, in terms of a complete cultural exercise as well. Number one. Number two, try to overcome. I mean, you've got the support. Most companies with dig digital transformation have got the support of the board uh, because they see, they see the challenges, don't they, in terms of uh, competing in this day and age. So if you do, then you're going to have to get some very old institutions in some cases, some very bureaucratic institutions to change the way they think. Uh, would you say that that is perhaps a big issue in this industry in general? It, absolutely. It's a, big, it's a big issue. And then it also starts to touch on the issue of who's actually going to drive this technology-driven transformation. Is it going to be the IT department, the guys that have generally owned technology in these companies? Or is it going to be somebody else? Perhaps the operations folks, it's the old OTIT thing, is the operations folks who... Maybe, you know, they're on the leading edge of knowing what they need to do, but they haven't generally been in charge of, of building and operating technical systems before. And that's another barrier, right, to, to adoption in many organizations. The culture is IT owns technology. Digital transformation is, is digital. It's technology. So how can we, how can we get around that problem? What, what about the conversation, the, the thought? I heard this the other day that saying digital transformation implies that there's some sort of finite endpoint to the transformation project. Isn't this an ongoing thing? Isn't it just, you know, transformation of the business or evolution? What do you think of that? Yeah, no, no doubt. It's, and, and I also, you know, we use digital transformation as a shortcut, but I think the correct term is digital business transformation because fundamentally you're not just trying to drive a digital transformation, but you're trying to transform the business. That's what you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. And, and then to your point, businesses are living, breathing, ongoing organizations that must be continually transforming or they will, you know, or they will die. They will be supplanted, right? They'll lose market share, lose their leadership position in the market. Or so, yes, of course, it's an ongoing thing. And it's about a transformation of the business, not a transformation of the technology. Technology is just the enabler. Yeah, 100%, which is why then we go back to the mindset shift. Yep. You know, we go back to the cultural question. Uh, I, I love to just break it down into yeah. right place chunks as well and think about the tech, the processes, and the people, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I do think the culture thing, that does come up a lot in discussions of digital transformation. Yeah. And I agree with it. Obviously, there are cultural, organizational issues, any any you know our businesses are made up of people fundamentally and how they interact with each other and with systems is is part of the culture at the same time culture you know the the extent that culture becomes a barrier is in direct correlation to how big the project is you're trying to do yeah if you're trying to do a bunch of small bite-sized projects then eh, the culture is not it's not that bad it can it can absorb that more easily and then it's like boiling the frog. You know, you keep raising the temperature and the frog doesn't even notice. All of a sudden, you're sitting in boiling water. And it's the same thing. If you do these in more bite-sized chunks, then all of a sudden, you've transformed the company and, and nobody noticed. 
yeah. right? <laughs> if you're trying to do it in a massive project, then yeah, you better bring in the organizational uh, psychologist to help you get past well, that. Well, absolutely. If you, I mean, sometimes a lot of what amuses me sometimes when I speak to people and they talk about digital transformation as this great big beyond thing that they're going to do. Uh, and they, also they talk about it as though it's this sort of panacea once we digitally transform the business is going to be resolved and all is going to be amazing. We're going to have number one market share. You encounter that. Yeah. And that's why I think about digital transformation in terms of, you know, operational centers. So whether it's your, you know, your supply chain, your manufacturing organization, your fleet, your fleet, your fleet management, your logistics, your whatever it is, you know, it's, it's very difficult, or I would say impossible to do a digital transformation of the entire organization in any way that's ever going to be successful. But, but you can pick apart small elements and then take your supply chain operations and break those into component parts and figure out how to just transform even a small component of that. Right. And then you'll, then you'll get there. Cult then culture will be less of a problem. You know, there were some amazing examples and use cases at, at your conference the other week where companies had true like Schneider electric, they, they've really gone a long way down, down transformation road. And I was almost a little bit afraid watching the audience listen to Schneider electrics uh, presentation. I could see them going, wow, we have we to do can. that. We need, yeah. we need to be there tomorrow. Let's, yeah. let's you know, hire McKinsey and figure yeah. out how to change everything. And what, what Schneider didn't mention, and, and, and I'm guessing, but I would be willing to bet that to get where they are today was a 10-year process yeah. and probably cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. You know, this and, was and not it, overnight. And as you say, they probably took, took it in bite-sized chunks, you know? It, they probably, they probably did. And I think they probably did because I actually, uh, not through Vantic, but through a previous company, was uh, had a close relationship with one of the chief innovation officers at Schneider Electric a few years ago. And we were talking about their early transformation initiatives. And they've always been on the leading edge. But absolutely, they were thinking, now that you reminded me, actually, they were thinking about doing this in relatively small chunks I didn't even put the two and two together. Well, now, now you know. You've got the re revelation. Now we know how they've, they've done it. Case <laughs> there you go. Over, you know, that's how we do it. So let, let, let's, I mean, our audience, our members, the people that are watching this are uh, supply chain and manufacturing leaders who are busy running a day-to-day -day operation. As you say, this, this is, I, I like to call this, this is that they're driving a bus and trying to change the tires of the bus on the highway while still moving. That's the job of every day of a supply chain or manufacturing leader. Yeah. Apart from doing things in bite-sized chunks, what other bits of advice can you give them to, uh, to really undertake this kind of digital yeah. thinking, digital projects? What, well, have say, well? what have you seen that works well? Yeah. Well, I'd say one thing that, that works well is to find a partner. And by that, I mean, you know, probably a, a mid-side system integrator or somebody that, that you can work with. And by the way, that's not Vantic. We're not systems integrators. We yeah. build a platform that systems, systems integrators would use to build these applications, but we don't, we're not a system integrator. But I would definitely advise, you know, these supply chain experts and others to, to find a trusted partner who they can use to, you know, rapidly prototype and, and get some of these small solutions out into the market. And if they're very lucky, maybe their internal IT department can, can 
function in that role for them. But mm-hmm. in my experience, in most cases, internal IT is focused on cloud migration and app mobilization and security and, and very, in a, you know, an SAP version implementation seven and, you know, yeah. lots of very important things. But if what you want to do is, is move quickly, find a, you know, find a partner who can help you get there. And I know also a lot of manufacturing, especially manufacturing organizations, they've got their own internal ghost IT departments, which are building uh, some of these systems. That can also work, although there are a lot of, I'd call them again, mid-sized systems integrators, not so much the Accentures and Deloitte's. That's when you want the longer term, you know, big, big project. Yeah. But yeah. if you want small bite-sized things, the mid-size SIs can be great partners. They know what tools to use. They're, you know, experienced in, you know, various technologies, IoT, you name it, and they can help accelerate your, your movement pretty fast. What about data? Let's talk about data. You, you mentioned it before. You've mentioned the fact that uh, people are drowning in data at the moment, aren't they? This is uh, one of those things where uh, we've talked about this on this podcast before. Do you need to hire data analysts for your team? You know, how, how have things evolved over the past 10 years, 15 years in this industry? And, and what can people do to really stay uh, competitive? Right. Well, there are different, there are a couple of different modalities for data. So if what you're trying to do is, you know, trend analysis or, or, you know, some, some deep analytics on what has happened in the past in order to, you know, optimize your future operations. Sure. Maybe having a data scientist on staff or building a team to do that might be a good idea, but most of these transformative business operations improvements don't require a data scientist. These are not that complicated. <laughs> right? yeah. You just have to be able to figure out what's going on, what events are happening in and around your, this part of your, your operation, and then take those in and then be able to take an action on them as they come in. You don't need a data scientist to do most of this. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it is a matter of figure out what, problem you want to tackle first and then go out and get the data. Don't let the data that's flowing in drive you to, to, to the solution, right? Figure out what's, what you want solved first and then put the systems or the sensors or whatever is necessary to, to get that data feed. I think a lot of companies are doing it the opposite way. They're flooded by data. They look at the data stream and go, okay, well, what can I possibly do with all this data? And they struggle trying to find something to do with it. That's, that's the opposite way. Figure but, out what problem you want to solve first and then go get, go get the data. And maybe it exists already, maybe it doesn't. That's fine. It's not hard to generate data these days. No, that, 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 I don't think that's the problem. It's what you do with <laughs> no. the data. I think, every, I think that's definitely not yeah. hard at all. Yeah. It's yeah. what you do with it, how you interpret it, how you make the most out of that data, how you identify yeah. what data you want, you know, yeah. et, et cetera. Now, one thing, though, that's a best practice that as especially if you're building these systems in in small modules or chunks, these transformative applications, you might say, is do make sure you keep a catalog and a record of all the data that is being used and maybe the new kinds of data that a system is putting off. So in yeah. the example of my field service uh, situation, the fact that, you know, you know, a technician is en route, or you know, a technician has fixed this, that's a data stream as well right? Yeah. Keep a catalog of that data because as you build more and more applications and more systems and more transformative uh, operations, you'll start reusing the same data feeds over and over and over again. 
and yeah. you don't want to be trying to find them. And do we have any data, Jim, that, you know, tells us X or Y, you know, you don't want to be, you can spend a lot of time just trying to find those needles in the haystack. And if you start yeah. keeping a catalog of it, that can make a huge difference to, to increase the speed with which you can do system four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Right. Yeah. The first few you are going to be scrounging around trying to figure out, do we even have this data? How do we get it? But then you can start to reuse the same data streams over and over. I was going to ask you the next question, sort of a segue on to from the conversation we were having about, uh, you know, what people should do. Can you think of examples without obviously naming names, not that you would, of, of who's doing things or things that you've seen that have gone wrong? Uh, and uh, sort of things to avoid? Hmm, a lot. Uh, well, I, I mentioned the, the uh, Japanese company that had 300, 300 yeah. you know, failed transformation projects earlier. That's, that's definitely one of them. I, I think most of the failure modes that I've seen uh, are because somebody's focused on, on transformation without, again, without a particular use case. I'm trying to think of a good failure example because I only, we really only mostly focus on the ones that do work. It's easier for me to tell you what, what yeah. does work than what, than what doesn't work. Uh, let me give you a, a counter example of, of okay. one that, that I think is, is on the path of working very well. Yeah. Very large, uh, actually one of the largest Brazilian restaurant chains, whose name I won't name, but you can probably Google it fairly yeah. fairly did want to do an end-to-end -end transformation of from, from the beginning of their supply chain all the way from the farms, actually, literally that source, wow. all the way through, uh, through the kitchens. They have thousands of kitchens that are cooking food in these restaurants, and they want to have end-to-end -end visibility and control in, you know, in real time. And what they could have done was, again, undertake a two-year project to try to fit it all together and make it work, but they said this. Let's start with a, with a project to have real-time uh, visibility into what's happening in the kitchens. What are we using? We'll know exactly the state of, of the food and the prep in, in every kitchen. So they have that measured. They have data on that. Then they begin to connect that to uh, the, the first, the, the nearest link in the supply chain. So the companies that literally restock uh, the particular restaurants. They, they built a data connection to them. Then they're helping with the same system to enable connection between the, the wholesalers and the, and the suppliers further up the supply chain. So they've taken it one bite at a time and now they're actually going downstream as well. So they're automating all the way through to allowing customers with kiosks in the booth to do real-time feedback on the quality of the food, on the quality of the service, so they can detect in near real-time if a restaurant in a region is getting bad beef, they won't find that out in a report a month later. They're going to know that like that hour if a cluster of five restaurants, people are, are returning, uh, you know, the, the steaks, right? So all the way through from the origination of the supply chain down to people eating food, all automated in real time. But again, they, they, the, the reason this is being successful already and as they f flesh it out, I know it will be ultimately successful as they've taken this one bite at a time, not a grand transformation project. But they did have a vision. And I'm, I guess that's important. Like I, I'm not trying to say by taking these small chunks that you shouldn't have a vision. You shouldn't have, uh, you know, a, a, an ultimate goal for where you want to get. I think that's, that's important too. Right? Yeah, have a, have a larger strategy, but, yeah. but look at what's doable in bite-sized chunks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right.
Yeah, yeah. And and do you think at the moment that there this conversation about digital transformation, digitization, digitalization? I've heard it all. I've heard all all, all very variations of these words. But do you think it's um, flavor of the month, or do you think it's realistic? Well, maybe flavor of the decade. I'm not, I'm not sure month, but I do think gradually it's going to it's going to fade away. Like to digitalize your operation or to digitally transform, it, it eventually, you know, it's, if you haven't already done that to some significant degree, you're just not going to be playing in the market anyway, right? You know, over the next decade, call it. I don't want to call an exact time frame, but, but there's going to be a time, you know, 10 years from now, you and I will be back talking to each other and it'll be quaint about how, you remember when we talked about digital transformation? That was yeah. so cute. Yeah. You know, yeah. Every, every company has just done it already or they're, or they're out of business. So not to say you're done, because you said that you're never done your transformation, but to, for there to be something special about where, I guess, by saying digital transformation, we're presuming you're going from an analog world to a digital world, okay? Yeah. And that's true in many cases, right? These companies are getting off paper, off manual processes into yeah. digitally enabled systems. It stuns me get even still how much is still done on paper these days with clipboards. Yeah. And uh, 10 years from now though, any company that hasn't left that a long time ago, we'll, you know, we won't be talking about them. So it'll be, we'll have a laugh over our digital transformation discussions in 10 years. But, but for now, it's still very, very important. Well, I, I, I saw somewhere today on LinkedIn, I think it was uh, one of our, um, one of our members posted something about how in the next 10 years, we will not be talking about whether or not a business has undergone digital transformation or is undergoing digital transformation. It will just be businesses that have adapted will yep. have will be in the market and those that have not will have faded away. Uh, so to leave you, I mean, we're running out of time. So to leave you on uh, some thoughts here, I mean, what I've taken away from this is the fact that you really need to do, look at your projects, even if you have a long-term larger strategy, but to look at things from bite-sized chunks. Um, I also really enjoyed what you said about the mind shift change. Uh, the idea that it's, it's not just about looking at the technology or the processes, the people or, you know, in isolation is, is, is the entire mind, sh mind shift that you have to do, the mindset shift yeah. to be able to really function with looking, keeping one eye on the business and also keeping an eye, another eye on how you adapt your business to digital, digital these days. Right. Uh, and then the last thing that I think we talked about, which was uh, adapt or uh, fade away, really. I mean, there's no choice, it seems. I don't, I don't think there is, but the good news is everybody really fundamentally gets that now, I think, and, and now we're all just trying to figure out how to actually do it. So, you know, as I said, find, uh, find some partners that can help you move down that path, and uh, it'll, all, it'll all work out in the end. Well, is there any other advice that you'd like to give people? Any other parting words? I would just say technology is... is cool. It's absolutely an enabler. There's a lot of great tech out there. So it is important to learn what's possible to see what's available. But the most important thing is think about the business, think about what you want to change, and then finding the tech to make it uh, happen will, will be easy. Well, thank you very much, Blaine Matthew from Vantic. Uh, for coming to talk to us about this. Uh, you can uh, uh, see you've got your podcast. You've got uh, uh, lots of social media that you're doing and lots of case studies on your website. So there's quite a lot of material that you've covered there uh, and obviously see them at our events. So uh, right. please definitely uh, check back in. It's been a pleasure to have you here. 
And uh, well, I look forward to seeing you again. Okay. Thanks, Maria. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.